0: well good morning church so glad you're here this morning we are in week two of a series uh, that we started last week on easter called scandals scandals from the bible what we're doing in this series is we're looking at several different parts of scripture where if it was a headline out of a newspaper it would seem quite scandalous. And as we're looking at these different stories from the Bible, we are gonna find out that God is good, that God works in spite of the scandals of scripture, but he also can build our faith through it. We're gonna learn a lot about ourselves, we're gonna learn a lot about the human condition, we're also gonna learn a lot about our Heavenly Father. And that through it all, this would just be a way to grow our faith in Him. And so, I invite you to take, take the journey with us. And today's headline, if you were to open up the Sunday morning paper, and it would be on the front page, this is what you would see, this would be the headline. King father's baby with married woman has husband killed. That would be scandalous, right? That would be something that, oh yeah, man, that would be front page, front, yeah, front page news for sure. And now if you have been around the church and know the Bible, know scripture, then some of you might know who that is. I, I've been kind of walking through and quizzing people even this morning, like if I give you this headline, whose story is it? And a lot of people know, which is, which is good. It's, we know the word. But when was the last time maybe you looked at this story and you try to draw out of it, what, what is God doing here? and What is happening here? You see, the character that's the center of this story is a man by the name of David. And if I throw out the name David... And you think of Scripture, you think, ah, I know David, King, you know King David, right? David and Goliath, right? That's that's that was kind of his claim uh, for for fame. You know, he's one of he's one of Jesse's boys, but he's the youngest, and maybe maybe you know he's he's handsome, but maybe he's you know one of the shrimpy ones, and he, he's just kind of in the background. He's kind of the youngest. It's like you know he's out he's out tending to the sheep. The other boys are really making something of their lives and and doing something. But then when all of Israel faces this giant Philist named Goliath it's David that has the faith to defeat the giant and after that if you read the the rest of that story and if you've been reading the devos with the church this year it's amazing how God brings us together so many times but uh, we've just been reading the life of David we've been we've been reading through uh, all these different parts and all these different facets of it we've been uh, reading through how uh, Saul was so jealous of David he was chasing him around trying to kill him You know, the crowds were so in love with David, they would say, Saul, you know, he slays, you know, hundreds, and and David, it's thousands, you know. It's like, if Saul's here, David's here. And David gets this, this tag in Scripture, a man after God's own heart. And you're like, wow, a man after God's own heart. I mean, wouldn't that be a great description for a Christian, I mean, wouldn't you love it if people went around and said, you know, so-and-so over here, man, he's a man after God's own heart. If anyone ever said that of me, that would be the highest compliment I may ever receive in my life, is to be a man after God's own heart. And yet, this warrior, this giant slayer, this this lineage that is eventually going to bring Christ through the line of David. This King David does something that he regrets and his headline is King Father's baby with a married woman and has the husband killed. David ends up in a heap of trouble. And I don't know if you can relate to that. Maybe some of you have been there. Maybe not quite to this degree. Maybe some of you are there right now, or maybe you know of someone who's in trouble. They're in a heap of trouble because of the sin in their life. And I want you to see how God's mighty power first exposed David's sin, but also forgave David's sin. And how God can still do that in our lives today. I want you to turn your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 11. 2 Peter chapter 11. If you brought your Bible this morning, um, if you want to follow along in the app, uh, you can do that through uh, an iPad or a tablet or your phone. Uh, just download uh, the Oakwood app. Just search Oakwood Enid. And if you go to the sermon notes right there, all the sermon notes will be there for you with all the scriptures this morning. But we're going to begin 2 Samuel chapter 11. We're going to begin with verses 1 through 5. We're going to read the whole story, but we're going to take it in sections this morning. So uh, 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 1 through 5. And our story today begins this way. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out. With the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. We've got to kind of pause there and and, and make sure we understand what's happening. Uh, Notice what the, the writer here is telling us something. He's sending us a message. In the spring, At the time that the kings go off to war, in other words, the kings should be off at war somewhere, David sent Joab, which was a fierce warrior and a servant of the king. In fact, he's going to come up, Joab's going to come up in a story next week um, regarding something. And so kind of hang on to that name, maybe do some research this week. Who is this Joab guy? But Joab was sent out instead of David with the king's men, with the Israelite army, and they're fighting some battles and winning some territory. We get to verse two. And one evening when David... The king, who was supposed to be off to war in the spring, but he wasn't, he stayed home. One evening, David got up from his bed because he was bored because he should have been off at war in the spring, and um, he walked around the roof on the palace, and from the roof he saw a woman bathing. Not good. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. And then David sent messengers to get her, and she came to him, and he slept with her. And then it gives us a little side note there. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness. She was coming off of that time. When she went back home, the woman conceived and sent word to David, I am pregnant. Wow, a lot just happened in what, five verses in scripture? This whole story as it unfolds, you you, you see a problem. You see that David makes one little decision that affects another decision that affects another decision, and it's almost like there's this row of dominoes that begins to fall in his life, but they're not falling like in a, in a God-centered way or in order. They're, they're falling in a complete different direction. I think there's something we can learn right away, and I think I've emphasized it enough. If when the kings in the spring are to be off at war, and David chose not to go, that created problems for him. I think there's a principle there that we need to understand as Christians. Sometimes when we're not where we're supposed to be, Satan attacks. Sometimes when we're not where we're supposed to be, Satan attacks. There's this thing with Christians that many times we're called to not be in proximity to evil. There's, there's tons of ways we can think about this. Uh, may, maybe if, if you've had this propensity to sin by abusing alcohol, that you become inebriated, it becomes an influencer in your life, and you are under the influence, and you struggle with that, maybe the wrong place for you to be in the evening is at a bar where they serve alcohol. I mean, you, you think about that. You might avoid that sin if you weren't in proximity to it, if you were away from it. It's kind of like this, when they were settling out um, um, er, er, earlier in the uh, Old Testament, when they're settling out the tribes where people were going to settle, uh, you might remember the story of Lot. The, the story says that Lot pitched his tents between and near Sodom and Gomorrah, and Sodom and Gomorrah were these condemned cities. You know, they were destroyed by God with heavenly hail fire stones. And, and it's interesting because it said that Lot had, had pitched his tents. He had, he had built a community and, and landed his family near Sodom and Gomorrah. And what do they end up doing? When God comes to destroy those cities, they end up fleeing and getting away from it. And there's this, there's this principle there that sometimes we have to not live our lives and be in constant proximity to evil. Because sometimes when we're not where we're supposed to be, I think temptation is greater and sin is greater. That's why some people shouldn't maybe be alone as much. If you're one of those people that, yeah, I have this sin pattern in my life and it happens when I'm alone. When I'm alone, I get on my phone and I do something that I don't wanna do, then maybe you shouldn't be alone with your phone. Maybe if it's the alcohol thing or maybe it's a group of friends that when you're in proximity with this group of friends, this group of friends encourages me to do things that don't honor God. In fact, it pulls me away from God. In fact, if you saw the way I acted at church and then you saw the way I acted when I'm with these friends, you would be a little shocked. I'm like a completely different person. My language is different. I'm as foul as the day is long. I know that there's nothing good produced in my life from being with these friends. Maybe you shouldn't be in proximity with those friends. And maybe if David was where he was supposed to be and he wasn't bored strolling out on his roof at night, happening, you know, the king's palace is above everything else and he's out on the roof and he can just oversee the whole city. And he sees a beautiful woman He begins in his mind, and it causes a lot of problems. And it was because of willful disobedience. It was because David slipped here and here and here and here. This domino effect happened. David, the man after God's own heart, he knew better. But he decided to do it anyway. Let's continue to read the this story, 2 Samuel 11. Let's look at verse 6 and following now. It says So David sent this word to Joab. Remember, Joab was the one he sent out in his place to manage the armies and to, to fight, fight the battles and do the war in the spring. So David sent this word to Joab send me Uriah the Hittite. That's Bathsheba's husband. Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent him to David. And when Uriah came to him, David asked him how Joab was and how the soldiers were doing, how the war was going. And then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. In other words, go home and relax. So Uriah left the palace and a gift from the king was sent after him. But Uriah slept at the entrance of the palace with all of his master's servants and did not go down to the house. Have you figured out yet what what he's trying to do here? Verse 10. David was told Uriah did not go home. And so he asked Uriah, haven't you just come from a military campaign? Why didn't you go home? And Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents. All my brothers in arms are out there in the field staying in tents. And my commander Joab and my Lord's men are camped in the open country. They're they're in danger here. How can I go to my house and eat and drink and, here it is, and make love to my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. There's no way. All of my, my countrymen and all my brothers-in-arms are out there doing that. There's no way that I can come home and have this kind of a reprieve. And, and no, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm a good soldier. These are, these are my guys. I mean, look how loyal he is to the cause of the king and the kingdom, more so than the king himself. As surely as you live, David, surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. Verse 12. And then David said to him, stay here one more day, and tomorrow I'll send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. At David's invitation, he ate and drank with him. And David made him drunk, served him some extra alcohol, made sure he was good and inebriated under the influence. But in the evening, Uriah went out to sleep on his mat amongst his master's servants, and he did not go home. David was hoping, I know Bathsheba's was pregnant, but if you go home and sleep with your wife, it could be your kid, and, and we can sweep this thing under the rug. Maybe we can keep this thing going, but, you know, we will sweep another, and everything will be okay, right? I've covered my sin, But we realize, no. And just as the story begins to unfold even more, I want you to notice what David does. David starts to veer farther and farther into this sin. And it causes him to sin more and more and more in trying to cover the original sin. And when, if you think back to what was the original sin, well, maybe, maybe you didn't answer God's call to be off at war with your, with your men. Maybe, maybe that's where it began. But let's say that wasn't a sin. Let's say that was just a choice. Let's say it just the sin was being on your roof at night because you're bored and you couldn't sleep. No, it's, that, that's not probably a sin, right? I mean, if you're bored and you get up at night, you know, looking out over the city and over your kingdom. Is that, no, that's probably not a sin either. The sin... The temptation came when he looked out over the city and he saw a beautiful woman bathing and he didn't turn and not look anymore. That conceived the sin. When he looked out over the city and he saw her and he saw that she was beautiful and lust came in and caused the next step and the next step. I mean, first, that's where it started, right? First was lust, right? Then it was just a few mental considerations with the lust And then that grew into sexual immorality and committing the act of adultery. And then that has led into some deceptions and some lies. I mean, how far will David go to commit this sin and to try to keep covering up so no one will notice? You see, there's a progression to this stuff. There's a progression of temptation to sin in the life of a believer. And I think if we can start and stop up front with this, it would serve us well. Because this is the progression of temptation and sin. First of all, we think about it. We think about it. Some people would call this desire. We think about it. We we saw the bathing woman and we want a second look or we want to start thinking some thoughts in our mind about it. But we begin to think about it, to dwell upon it. The second part of the progression of temptation in, 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 into sin is that when we begin to justify it. You know, I, I deserve this. You don't know what a hard life I've had. I, I deserve this. You know, I, I should have had this anyway. I mean, I'm the king. I could, should have any woman in the kingdom that I want. In fact, I've got, you know, all these wives and, and all these kids. I, you know, what? what I, I should be able to have whatever. I, I am the king. Um, she's the mo- most beautiful woman I've ever seen in my life. And I should have that because I am the king. And we begin to justify these things in our mind. You begin to look at the, the, the things that tempt you in your life and you begin to justify in your mind. Oh, I deserve this. Oh, I need this. Or I want this. The third thing is, then you start planning it. A lot of times, the plan includes a plan of concealment. You have to plan some covert operations to try to keep it at bay. That's why so many sins are committed under the cover of darkness and in secret. Most sins are not just out there in flamboyant. Now, it seems like in this day and age, they're more so out there in flamboyant. But there used to be a time where you try to conceal all sins. And sometimes there's those sins that we commit that requires us to have other people. I mean, if we're gonna gossip about somebody, we've gotta have another person there to listen, right? Gotta have their ears be the garbage cans for us to spew what we don't like or our opinion or all of our negative talk into their ears. It's a it's a two part sin, it requires someone else. But we start planning for it. Oh, wait till I see them, I'm gonna say something to them about this and that, and and then the last step is we do it. We commit the sin in all of its fullness. You see, it begins with thinking about it, and then we justify it, and then we start planning it, and then we do it. Let's read on and see what happens with David, beginning with verse 14. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab, and he sent it with Uriah, the irony of this. And in it, he wrote, put Uriah out in front where the fighting is the fiercest, then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. And Uriah the Hittite takes his death order to Joab in the field of battle. How low will David go? So while Joab had the city under siege, he put Uriah at the place where he knew the strongest defenders were. When the men of the city came out and fought against Joab, some of the men in David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. How far will David go? Joab sent David a full account of the battle. He instructed the messenger, when you have finished giving the king this account of the battle, the king's anger may flare up, and he may ask you, why did you get so close to the city to fight? Didn't you know they would shoot arrows from the wall? Who killed Abimelech, son of Jerubbasheth? Didn't a woman drop an upper millstone on him from the wall so that he died in Thebes? Why did you get so close to the wall? And if he asks you this, then say to him, moreover... Your servant, Uriah the Hittite, is dead. What is he saying there? What is Joab trying to communicate to David is, hey, this is the way it happened. This is the way that it happened, but it costs more than just Uriah. It put us in a very compromising position to cover your sin, and it affected more people's lives than just yours. Another great reminder for us as Christians that sometimes our sin affects others we'd like to compartmentalize it right keep it in a nice little box just get it out play with our sin for a while put it back it's not, it's not gonna hurt anybody the messenger set out, and when he arrived, he told David everything Joab had sent him to say. The messenger said to David, The men overpowered us and came out against us in the open, and we drove them back to the entrance of the city gate. Then the archer shot the arrows um, from your servants from the wall, and some of the king's men died. Moreover, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead. And David told the messenger, Say this to Joab, do not let this upset you. The sword devours one as well as another, Press the attack against the city and destroy it. Say this to encourage Joab. See, Joab was kind of upset about the orders. In verse 26, when Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. And after the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord." three quick statements about this sin will take you further than you want to go sin will always take you a little further than you want to go oh i didn't intend i didn't i didn't know I, I didn't sin will keep you longer than you want to stay sin will keep you longer than you want to stay Well, I thought it would just be like a one-time thing. Well, I thought this was only going to, I was only going to do that behavior for like a week. I, I, I just wanted to try it once. I had Level straight. I, I just wanted to do it once. And but sin will keep you longer than you want to stay. And the third thing is that sin will cost you more than you want to pay. It'll always cost you more than you want to pay. And if you've compartmentalized it and tried to shield it and tried to hide it and you think, man, I've done a good job. No one knows. Guess what? God knows. God knows. And he has this way of exposing sin. Sometimes when we don't know it, sometimes when we least expect it. Sometimes he just has this way. You know there's these consequences for sin, too. I mean, as we just just read, he's going to be born a, a child now from Bathsheba. Probably even seems honorable, right? One of the king's men lost his life in battle, and for anybody that doesn't know anything, hey, man, look at King David, wow. And what a, what a great king. He took, he took Bathsheba in, and she's pregnant. I mean my goodness what a what a great great king he is There's always this fleshly side of consequences but there's also these spiritual consequences that when we're caught up in our sin patterns like this and we're in this habitual sin pattern it will pull you away from God it affects your relationship with God and you may come to church on Sunday morning and be able to sit in the same pew take the same communion Go to the same group, read the Bible, and, and maybe you even pray. But the chances are that you do that less and less and less. But sometimes, ah, we just put on our church face. We just do what we have to do. One foot in front of the other, right? And you see this, and you hear this, and you read the story, and you think, what in the world is David David and Goliath, David. King David. Man after God's own heart, David. What in the world is he doing? And why did it lead to this and this and this and this? And now you took a man's life and you're continuing to lie about it. What he's doing is really quite simple. A little bit of sin became a big cover-up, which caused him to sin at deeper levels and further and more. And that's why I would say sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, cost you more than you want to pay. It's not good. See, sometimes I think we think about sin and we're like, oh, God doesn't want us to sin because he's holy. He wants us to be like him and he wants us to be righteous and he wants us to be marked as his people and be different and set apart from the world. And that's why God cares so much about sin. It's really all about God. Folks, God loves you so much, he wants you to leave your life of sin, not only for him, but for you. Sin, it always is good for a season, right? That's the reason that we do it, but it will tear you and your life, sometimes your family, sometimes the life of your friends, sometimes the life of a community, it will tear it apart. And the thing is, we think we're concealing it, we're doing a good job, you know? Like some of us, you know, we go into like sin management mode, you know, I'm a good sin manager and... Folks, God knows, God knows. He knows everything. God always knows. And in our story, God's gonna let a prophet named Nathan know too. Let's go to the next chapter, 2 Samuel, chapter 12. The Lord sent Nathan to David. If you don't know Nathan, Nathan's story, Nathan's a prophet of God, God's mouthpiece. Comes to turn people away from their sin, turn them back to God, and the Lord sends Nathan to David. And when he came to him, he said this. Nathan decides he's gonna give David a little illustration. Hey, there were two men in a certain town. One was rich, like a king, and the other was poor, like a soldier. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except this one little ewe lamb that he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, it drank from his cup, it even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him instead he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and he prepared it for the one who had come to him and David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan as surely as the Lord lives the man who did this must die he must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and he had no pity and then Nathan said to David you are the man you're the man it's a serious step off the path of righteousness when we don't follow god but here in david's case it quickly developed into something that he couldn't even see it keeps mentioning here in this part we just read about the traveler a traveler comes to town wants to have dinner i've often wondered who's the traveler for the sake of the illustrations, just a guest that comes into town, they want to kill a ewe lamb. Did the traveler have some influence here? Could the traveler be Satan or one of his minions that's tempting the rich man to steal the only sheep from the poor man to take it as his own? Most scholars believe it was About a year ish of living this life for David when he's called out. And what's interesting is what happens next. Because by now, you're probably feeling like I am. It's like, David, man, David's trash. I mean, look what he's done. He ordered a husband be murdered so he could have his wife. He committed adultery against a bond of marriage. He, I mean, he's lying to cover up the sin. It took lives of other soldiers because of the way that it went down. And yet God has come and God has exposed the sin. And it really begs to us, how do we get back on track? is there hope for David? How how can he recover from this? How can he get back on track with God again? Is it even possible that God would open up the narrow road that leads to life that scripture talks about? Is that even possible for David? The good news is, folks, I can say emphatically, with biblical truth, there is a way. And you don't have to lie anymore or change your name or go into some kind of sinner's protection program to accomplish it. And so we ask, how do you get out of your sin and receive God's forgiveness? You confess to God, then shielded truth, and you throw yourself on his mercy, grace, and forgiveness. And the verses following what we just read in 2 Samuel 12, one through seven. In those next few verses, basically Nathan gives David a list. Look what all God has done for you. Look how he has blessed you. David, what are you thinking? And then jump down with me, 2 Samuel 12, verse 13. This is David's response. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Confession. I'm owning it. I've sinned against the Lord. I have made a mess. Look look what happens then. Nathan replies, the Lord has taken away your sin. What? All of it? I mean, do you guys read this with me this morning, right? (laughs) That's the response. That's the grace and forgiveness of Almighty God. He confesses, hey, I own it. I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan replies, the Lord has taken away your sin. And then what is he followed up with? You're not going to die. You know that's from. It's from David's reaction back there in, in verse uh, four, five, and, and six where he says, surely this man should die. Remember that part, the end of verse six? Surely this man should die, David says. And Nathan says, you are that man. And yet he assures him here, hey, I know you said this man should die, But not only has God taken away your sin, you are not going to die, but because by doing this sin, by doing this, you have shown utter contempt for the Lord. Utter contempt. The son born to you will die, there will be a consequence. Sin always has consequences. Always. I don't think I've ever had a sin not have a consequence. Even if the consequence of the sin is just a little bit of your heart and soul seems to die. And sometimes after you're made right, the consequences don't all go away. But I do wanna tell you this, that God's forgiveness can cover over anything, any sin you've committed and anything in your past. And if you want to feel the relief of some pressure in your life, release and confess the secret sins that you've been holding for years. Confess them and bring them out in the open to God. He gives you an escape that is only possible for his forgiveness. And it's miraculous and it's wonderful. Let me tell you how miraculous that it is. The Bible says that when God forgives you, he removes your sin as far as the east is from the west. And you may be sitting there thinking, what does that mean exactly? Well, let me go on with the rest of that verse. When God forgives you, he removes your sin as far as the east is from the west and he remembers it no more. What? Because folks, let's be honest, we don't forget our sin. (laughs) And God doesn't forget our sin like, oh, gee, what did you do? I I, just slipped my mind. No, God chooses to forgive us our sins and to remember them no more. And so when Nathan declares to David here, after David's confessed, he's owned his stuff. And what does he say to him? The Lord has taken away your sin. He's taken it away. I wonder how that felt to David. I wonder if it felt like Psalm 32. Psalm 32 Verses 1 through 7 is a psalm of David. Listen to these words. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. Wow. I think Psalm 32 is a psalm that David wrote after he reflected on what we just read today. He lived 1 Samuel 11 and 12 and he writes this to tell Christians, listen, if you can avoid sin because it cost me my son's life, David's son did die. If you can avoid sin, then do it. But if you sin, confess it to God and throw yourself on his grace and love and forgiveness and let him do a work in you. And can you imagine? I mean, he talks in Psalm 32 about what it felt like, this hand, the heaviness of God, the guilt. For us, the Holy Spirit conviction, if you're a child of God, it's the Holy Spirit conviction that's on you that's heavy, that's like, whoa, man, I hate my life and I hate myself. And, And when you come to God and you confess those sins, it's like cleaning house.